worthy of your love. everybody and welcome to Three Beers In, the one-stop shop for your beer news and reviews. My name is Dominic and I would like to welcome you all to Season 2, Episode 138, Toppling Goliath Brewing Co. Pseudo Sue. You know, I don't know, when I, when, whenever a brewery has like, you know, Brewing Co., some of them say Brewing Co., some of them say Brewing Company, am I allowed to just pronounce company at the end or do I have to say Co.? I'm making a ruling right now. I am always going to say company. That's it. Toppling Goliath Brewing Company out of Ohio, ladies and gentlemen. And this is one of my first beers coming out of the Midwest area because Ohio, uh, uh, Iowa, Iowa, not Ohio. Did I say Ohio? I meant Iowa. Iowa is kind of like where I'm where I'm at. It's under Michigan, I believe. All right, I'm getting better with my purple plains and purple mountains of these beautiful United States. So very happy to have you all with us on this International IPA Day. That's correct. Right now, at the time of this recording, it is International IPA Day. That's right, because it's Thursday. Now, you might be hearing this on Friday. Don't fret, because it's International Beer Day on Friday. So no matter when you're listening to this, unless it's the weekend, and I'm so sorry you missed these international dates, celebrate with the globe about beer and everything like that. So, pseudo Sue. Really, really happy to start drinking this bad boy right here. I only got two cans of it, so I want to be a little, you know, nice with it. I don't want to do too much. I don't want to go too crazy. I want to savor it because I think it's going to be good. I've had King Sue before, which is like the gold standard of the New England style IPA right now. It's in the top five of all of them. And Pseudo Sue, I think, is on the outside looking in. So I want to see what's up with that. But I'm really, really happy to be able to do that beer for you tonight. And... I just got back from Pittsburgh. So you might say, Dom, what's your opinion on Pittsburgh? Is it a decrepit, old, abandoned steel mill that's crazy and they have blown out windows and abandoned buildings? Some parts, yes. But not in downtown Pittsburgh where I went, baby. That's correct. I went to downtown Pittsburgh. That's a tongue twister right there for you. I went to downtown Pittsburgh, okay? And I got to visit a little bit of like where... The college town is in Pittsburgh between Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh, and like another spot. I don't know the other name of the fucking, I don't know the name of the school. I didn't learn a lot about Pittsburgh, but I will tell you this. I kind of liked the way it looked. All right. It looked like, um, I don't know. They took some dynamite and blasted the down the middle of a mountain and created a gigantic valley with a river down the middle of it. And they built houses and buildings up over the mountain and everything like that. It was just a beautiful sight. I really, really enjoyed it. I felt like it was nice. I said to myself, this is a place that I could move to. Not saying that I would move to Pittsburgh, because I'm pretty sure there's nicer places in America that look like Pittsburgh, but aesthetically, I think it was very pleasing. Now, why did I go to Pittsburgh? Ladies and gentlemen, I went there to the Wizard Convention. The Wizard, not the Wizard Convention, the Wizard Comic Con. That's correct. It's the first time I've ever been to a Comic Con, which I think just means comic convention, comic book convention. And I got to go there because my lovely wife grew up watching a show called Charmed, which featured um, Alyssa Milano. Everyone knows who Alyssa Milano is, kind of. I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Alyssa Milano is. It featured Alyssa Milano, um, Rose McGowan, and this woman named Holly Marie Combs, I believe her name is. And that was her favorite character. And this woman was out there at this Comic-Con with... Her co-star, who was like her lover boy in the show, Brian Krause. These are the names of the celebrities. I put them a little bit of a quote of the people that were at this Comic-Con. So my wife was just like, oh, my God, this would be so nice for me to do before my maternity leave ends. Can we please drive out there and and see them? And I'm like, "Okay, okay, we'll go. And then because I've driven out to Pennsylvania before. But then I typed in. Oh, that's why I said Ohio. I typed Pittsburgh in. It's six hours. To get there, and it's like maybe about you know fifteen seconds from Ohio, so you're practically traveling across all of Pennsylvania to get to Pittsburgh. And I looked and I said, "Sweetheart, I am not about to drive six hours plus because I'm pretty sure there's traffic and all this bullshit. Six and a half hours, maybe even seven hours. You know, you have to factor in having to get gas." To go meet these people. I want you to see these people. I love you. You're my wife. I want you to be happy. What can I do? What will I do? So, 
I went on Expedia and I found some pretty cheap flights going out there to, to Pittsburgh. They're regional flights. I mean, they use small planes, but I wanted her to be happy. You know, we have a beautiful daughter. If things are going well for us, so I said, let's just do it. Let's fucking take the, we found reasonable prices. I'm not no hot shot. I can't just go buy plane tickets. Right. So then she's been getting money for the maternity leave. So that helps out. So anyway, we take some planes, well, single plane, out to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We land. We go to this convention center. Now, so, you know, the I knew what I was going to, I knew what was going to happen, right? I knew I was going to run into people that were dressed up in, in different costumes and stuff like that, doing cosplay. Some people were amazing looking. I mean, Jesus Christ, some of the, the care to the detail that some of these people put into their to their costumes. There's one guy dressed as um oh shit, what's the guy's name? Not Poseidon. What is it? Aquaman? Aquaman, right? He had the long hair and everything. He even put the fucking like the gold contact lenses in. And like he looked kind of like Carl Drogo. I don't even know that fucking guy's name. That's a shame. But he looked like him. Okay. And there were some people that fucking phoned it in. There were some people that looked atrocious. There was one guy that was dressed <clears throat> In a in a clown outfit with a that had a skirt on and he had a mask on and he was just I watched him buy at least nineteen beers. The guy was just getting loaded. He never took the mask off. He was carrying a baseball bat. I guess that's okay. I mean, you do you do need your props when you do this type of um, cosplay. It's called cosplay. I noticed that all walks of life were doing the cosplay and I thought that was fantastic. I mean, you, you did see some people cause then we do it to a panel with the people that she wanted to meet and the people that were going up to ask questions. You could tell that there was like some social awkwardness there. Like you could tell like they were, they were coming out of their comfort zone in terms of talking to people. And it was really nice to see because like you could, you could tell that they had to have built up a fuck ton of courage to get up there and, dressed as they were and speak to these people that they're diehard fans of. You know what I mean? So that was just really, really cool to see. And um, there were some celebrities there. The most famous person that was there was Zachary Levi, who plays Shazam in this movie. I believe it's called Shazam. Okay. It's this, it's a superhero. And um, he was signing autographs because he was next to the booth. That was where like, Ariel's celebrities were going to be. So we were waiting online for them to come out. It's kind of like shaped like a square. If you were to take like a table, like a square table, and like it, there's curtains around it. Not a square table, excuse me. Take a square. It's a big piece of area. I mean, so there's tables all around, but you know, there was curtains all set up, rigged up that the center of the curtains was where the celebrities can hide away and have like their kale lettuces and, and you know, you know their um, ketogenic dieting stuff to keep their celebrity bods. And then like they would come emerge from the curtains to do the signings and stuff. So, so we're waiting online for the, the people that she wants to see. And then I see to my left, the Zachary uh, Levi guy signing autographs and taking selfies and stuff like that. Everything has to be, you have to pay for all that though. So you pay for your admission and then you got to pay anywhere from like 50 to a hundred dollars for an autograph, anywhere from like a hundred to $150 for a fucking selfie. So it's these people are making money. They're working. They're not there for your they're there to, you know, meet you and stuff like that, but you're 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 paying them for this stuff. So I'm watching Zachary Levi from where I'm standing and he's signing autographs and for like every third to fourth person, he kept saying, You're worthy of your love. You're worthy of your love. You're worthy of your love. I heard it I heard it like nineteen hundred fucking times. He just kept saying it over and over again. And then I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck is this guy even saying? You're worthy of your love. Is that his way of saying it's okay to love yourself? You just tell people to love themselves. <coughs> Zachary, just say love yourself. Say love yourself. Don't, don't, you don't have to, 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 unless these people are so downtrodden that they don't think they're worth their own self-love. Start with just loving yourself. And if then and they say, I, I can, I'm not worth it, then say you're worthy of your love. I don't know. I got a little, I got a little upset at that. Not upset, but I was just like, you know, start small. Because a lot of these people, like, they were hearing them say it, but it was one ear out the other. They're just starstruck to see you, sir. Just say love yourself. That's fucking simple enough. Because I'm already, you know, you know, I was thinking, what would my tagline be? 
I would say I would say something like always consider a courtesy flight. I would say something, you know, try to be a little comical about it. Either way, some of the other celebrities that were there were Michael Ian Thomas, who was uh if you've ever seen Rookie of the Year, he was the child that told Gary Busey to throw the hot stinking cheddar. Okay. That no one can forget. He was also in American Pie. And I'm going to admit it here, everyone, and I hope that you don't think less of me. I've never seen American Pie. I've never seen it before, and I don't intend on it. I mean, if you think it's something that I should see, then maybe I'll go for it. But it's just something that was never on my list. So he was there. A guy named Sam Levine was there. Sam Levine, he was in Freaks and Geeks, and and he stood around in Inglorious Bastards. And then there was a gentleman by the name of Jason Font who was there, and he was like the fifth Red Ranger. So I'm standing online waiting for these celebrities that I don't know, looking at these celebrities that I borderline know, and watching them just sit there do nothing. No one's approaching them. <coughs> it's a Saturday. I felt bad. I was like, I would go up there and talk to them. But I don't want to pay fucking $50 for the pleasure of trying to make them feel a little less lonely. Lonely. I felt like I was in a zoo and I was watching because like, you know, when like, you know, you when you watch National Geographic, you see a cheetah in the wild. It's running and it savagely eats an antelope and bites the neck and it's it's got blood on its face. And then you see one in the zoo and it's just fucking laying there like on its side. And you, you you don't know if it's dead or alive. You just have to look at it and be like, well, there's the cheetah. It's kind of like that because you see these actors acting and, and being characters and moving around and stuff. And then you just see them sitting there, sitting there all sad and lonely looking. And it was just, oh, fuck it. These guys were getting, they were getting $80, $100 fucking dollars for a picture. And I feel bad that they were sitting there. Whatever. Continue to sit there. Continue to sit there. But another thing that happened is I wasn't, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of flying, ladies and gentlemen. I tell people when I ask, you know, how do I feel about it? I say that I'm uncomfortable. And they go, well, Tom, if you lose maybe, you know, 20 pounds or so, maybe even more than that, possibly 120 pounds, you'd feel a lot more comfortable. It's not, that's not the discomfort for me. The discomfort is not, is, is being in the air. I'm, I'm thousands of feet in the air and I know that the only ground I have is the fuselage, okay, which is the body of the plane. I always thought fuselage was like where the fuel went. Maybe it is where the fuel, I don't know what the fuck I'm, I don't know anything about aerodynamics or airlining, but all I know is that those fucking bumps you feel ain't the ground. That's just the, what is it, clouds or air whiffing around? I don't know. I just, flying makes me uncomfortable. I don't like, I don't white knuckle it the whole time. Like, I don't get all freaked out. Like, I don't get an anxiety attack or anything like that. But I definitely, I'm definitely concerned. Definitely a little nervous. But really love the fact that I took a six-hour drive and cut it to 52 minutes of travel time from LaGuardia Airport to whatever the fuck Pittsburgh's airport's named. And... That was the best part about it. I didn't have to worry about it. When we got there, we used Ubers and Lyfts. I'm still kind of new to Ubers and Lyfts. I've always had some weird conversations with some folks in Ubers and Lyfts. Nonetheless, super, super easy to travel that way. I mean, if I'm ever going to... And then I said to myself, you know, I would like to do this maybe a little more often if I conquer my my anxieties about the plane, which aren't that intense, I kind of feel I feel better when I'm just like, all right, if I fucking die, it'll be pretty quick. I really would have loved to have seen my daughter grow. But I'm going to die fast like that, that. That helps. I don't know why it sounds quite morbid, but it helps. Jesus Christ sounds terrible. I didn't mean to turn the podcast on its head like that. But nonetheless, that's that's the difference maker there. I take comfort in knowing that it would be a quick death. Jesus Christ. But. I started Googling like, how to travel, like traveling hacks. Like, how can I fly to, uh, say, I don't know. I've always wanted to go to Montana. It's a weird fucking thing on my bucket list, but I think it's on there because who the fuck wants to go to Montana, right? <coughs> so it's on there, and I was like, how can I get to Montana cheap? And it's like, if you take... So one of the things that I read on online real quick before I get into anything else, it said that it, if you um, book a flight 
like say from New York to California, right? And there it stops in Chicago, stops in Montana, and then goes to California. Usually those tickets are cheaper because people don't want to stop that much. And what you do is like the you know, the next stop is Montana. You just don't get on the plane to go to California. Bing bang boom. You're in Montana. Just don't check your fucking bag. You know? There you are in Montana, hanging out, you know, doing your Montana thing, and you didn't have to pay the crazy pl- uh, prices to get there. But, yeah, so that was my thing. I would move to Pittsburgh. I thought it was really, really nice. The food was, you know, pretty good. I mean, you're, you're, we just had some burgers and stuff, and then they were like, we have the most, the best flame-cooked or, or cold brick oven pizza that you'll ever have. It was not that good, okay? It wasn't. It's 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 not New York pizza. I, I now I'm starting. I, I never wanted to be one of those people to be like, you can't get pizza if it ain't from New York. But now it's starting to get like that. Now that I'm branching out and and having pizza outside of New York, I'm literally I would get the pizza and then I would I would eat it and be like, this is the world famous people. Like, you know, it's not as good as the New York one. This tastes like garbage compared to it. And then they would just you know whatever they would just look at me. But nonetheless, um. We're going to get going with the show here, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to get into the hop. The hop of the week, ladies and gentlemen. A wonderful little segment that we have where we get to pick a hop, talk about it, and see what's up. So I'm going to spin this wheel here and see what we get. The wheel of hops. We have... Nugget hops, ladies and gentlemen. Nugget. Nugget hops. Hang on, let me just look this up real quick. Hop of the week, nugget. Uh... Okay, this is from Hopless. Nuggets, super alpha acid content, low beta and low cohumulone percentages. Give it an excellent bittering kick. In uh, Popular in IPAs, Imperials, and other super hoppy brews. It's high in myrcene content. I had to really look at that. Also results in green herbal aromas. Daughter of Brewer's Gold and Mother of Millennium Hops. Uh, Nuggets popularity had grown quickly. Uh, it was released in 1983, and by 1987, it was producing 14% of the Pacific Northwest's hops. The alpha acid composition, which we learned about last week, is 9.5% to 14%. Uh, craft beers that you have uh, seen that include this hop. Uh-huh. Okay, we got here Trogue's uh, Nugget Nectar Ale, Toppling Goliath Golden Nugget IPA. Shout out to Toppling Goliath. Uh, Flying Dog Imperial IPA, single nugget, nugget single hop. So, that's it. That's all we have. So I'm going to look up something here real quick. Let me one second. Forgive me. So, I wanted to look up. So we always hear about these alpha, these alpha enzymes, right? What are the beta enzymes? Let me look this up here. Alpha versus beta. So if alpha bitters, what does the beta do? So I got this. I got it here at jaysbrewing.com, um, and it says here, uh, when added uh, into the wort while boiling, alpha acids go into solution into solution almost immediately. Uh, the bitterness that hops give to beer happens slowly, though. The alpha acids are isomerized in the boil and form isomerized alpha acids. I'm just going to pronounce words how I want and roll with it. I'm not going to fucking question anymore. This is exactly why bittering hops are added with 60 minutes in the boil or more. But there is another type of bittering component to the beer, and it is the beta acid. Beta acids are composed of lupulone, colupulone, and adupulone. Beta... I'm just going with it. Beta enzymes really do not create too much bittering to the beer in the same way that alpha acids do. During the fermenting process, during the fermentation and storage of alpha acids break down slowly. The beta acid enzymes, however, create a bitterness from oxidization. Oxidation. Oxidation. This affects the long-term storage of beer or lagering of beer. I believe, this is what this author says, I believe what I heard is that noble hops are the closest in ratio with alpha and beta, having a damn close one-to-one ratio, but a lot of brewers prefer a two-to-one ratio, uh, which gives more consistent bitterness over time with age. That's what I'm told, at least. So I hope that clarifies the differences. And this was from jaysbrewing.com. So it seems that the beta acid, I I don't think that fucking answered anything for me. If you could have, if you got anything out of what I just said, 
more power to you because I have no idea what I just read. Sometimes I, I, I sometimes I just don't know what the, what I'm reading. Sometimes it just doesn't register in my head, and now I feel and now I feel like an idiot. So <laughs> that's my life. My life is just one big, just, you know. Sometimes I'm just stupid. That's it. That's that. That's the show. That's the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I have procured some news in the beer world. And this music means only one thing, that there is some news out there, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to read about right now. You know, I got $12 left over in, like, the Fiverr thing that I use to, like, try to get, like, people to, like, do shit for the show. Like, do the, um, the logo and stuff. I want to see if I can maybe find someone for 12 bucks. To do like a this is the beer news, everybody. Like a like a news dude would do it. Like a news dude would say. So I only got two cans of the pseudo sue. And I'm cracking one of them finally open now for uh for me to read the beer. The beer news that I procured over this week. Uh there wasn't a lot. There wasn't really a ton of beer news out there, which I was just like a little depressed. Sometimes it gets a little slow. Oh shit, is this gonna fucking overflow? I really poured hard. Nope. We're good. Tall boy cam. Oh my god, that looks fucking good. It smells amazing too. So the first article that came here was from Forbes.com, and it says here that the headline says, and it reads as follows: uh, Brewery uses AI and IoT technology to improve the quality of beer. Hmm. Uh, fucking robot's gonna take every everything over. Is that like how it's gonna go? So. Uh, this is written by an, an individual by the... Okay, great. Now the fucking computer wants to be a shit. Uh, written by Lana Bandoim. Ban- Bandoim. Contributor to Forbes. <laughs> Artificial intelligence and the internet of all things. I-O-I-T- IOT. Is it, can we just say internet? No. Are becoming more prominent in the food and beverage industry. In a recent interview, Joe Vogelbacher... Why do these words... God. And co president and co-founder of Sugar Creek Brewing learned how AI and internet, I'm just going to fucking say internet. <coughs> oh, internet of things. IOT means internet of things. But what does that mean? Like you can't just say internet? Founded in uh, 2013, Sugar Creek Brewing crafts Belgian-inspired ales from North Carolina and beyond. I'm going to have to apologize to Gabriel last week then. Apparently, if they're able to make Belgians in North Carolina... Maybe they can make them out in Memphis where I was yelling at you from. Sorry, dude. My bad. The company is veteran-owned veteran owned, and a certified independent member of the Craft Brewers Association. Cheers to you guys. It has integrated AI and Internet of Things into its brewing process to improve manufacturing and the quality of its beer. Let's see how. We hosted IBM at our facility for a training event, and they were discussing some work they had been doing with some other companies. When we learned about how they were using visual inspection to determine if certain products were good or bad, we wondered if they could do the same thing for beer. What, just by visual, by, by just, I thought you just do specific gravity during the fermentation process to know exactly how things are going. Sugar Creek had a significant problem as it packaged the finished beer into bottles. The fill levels were not consistent, and, and in some packaging runs, they ended up with excessive foaming. The foaming translated to waste and excessive dissolved oxygen in the beer. Too much oxygen ugh, too much oxygen in the beer ruins the quality of flavor and reduces the shelf life. The spillage problem costs them $30,000 per month. Holy shit, do I feel like a like a fucking moron now. That is a that is a significant factor. I didn't even think that this is something that could happen. That's fucking intense. $30,000 a month because you couldn't, because you filled it a little too much? Damn. We presented this problem to the engineers at IBM and they installed a camera which takes pictures of our beer as it exits the bottle line. Uh, this picture, when combined with other data we collect during the bottling operations, then gets uploaded to the IBM cloud and interpreted by the Watson algorithms, which will take over the world one day. Our brewers provide 
some specific criteria which they find useful, and Watson looks for that needle in the haystack of data. Our interpretation of large amounts of data has turned our company from being reactive in many circumstances to proactive and able to better pinpoint processes to improve upon. This translates to a better quality product in our customers' hands, which has always been our mission since day one. Vogelbacher shares. Uh, excuse me, Jim. One of the older brewer, the breweries in Charlotte, Sugar Creek Brewing, operates some historical equipment as well. When they started this project, one of the first things they did was install some precision sensors at various points of the brewing process. These sensors collect 24 hours of data per day about the brewing operations. If you look at any of the sensors' data in isolation, it really doesn't tell you a whole lot. The magic occurs when you feed all that data into one spot. We now have a digital dashboard that gives our brewers a near instantaneous read on the health of our product and the production family. Previously, we were generating dozens of binders of handwritten data and reading many gauges by plain eyesight. We now have uh, consistent and calibrated data with our most critical data being stored at secure locations on IBM's cloud, accessible from the social media. That's pretty intense right there. I mean, you know, it goes on to say that they're they're doing fucking awesome now by uh, implementing this this stuff here. And it's interesting because when we were in flagship, you know, when we were talking to the brewer there, he was talking about how a lot of things can go wrong quickly and will ruin the whole batch, whether it's the the uh, the the tanker. Like I think he said one time it froze over on him. You know, that's um. Oh boy, that's 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 pretty trippy stuff. So I mean, you're gonna you might see this in some um, some breweries out there um, as time goes on. Next article we have here, ladies and gentlemen, and it is from now. This is an interesting website for those of you that are listeners in New Jersey. This website is called South Jersey Beer Scene, and it's uh, sjbeerscene.com. www.sjbeerscene.com. And right here, it is reading for now. This is this is relevant to our Staten Island listeners as well. Because a lot of you, me being one of them, do travel, I mean, not so much as often as you used to be, to Atlantic City. And this is entitled Five Great Beer Bars in Atlantic City by John. I see, I, I'm having a great night. John Couchowd. <laughs> are you looking for a place to grab a cool. Uh, are you looking for. Oh, God. I got to stop going whenever I screw something up. Looking for a place to grab a cold one in Atlantic City? What was once a barren wasteland for craft beer now boasts some of the best beer bars in the area, already home to Toon Tavern, and soon to add its second brewery with The Seed, a living beer project, you can find great craft beer all over the city. Here, in no particular order, are five of the best beer bars in Atlantic City. This is pretty cool for me. If I want to go down to AC... You know, if we get a room comp or something like that, I'm not a huge gambler. I'll do it once in a while. But if I can find some dope craft beer while I'm down there, I'm fucking going to go. First place we got is Vagabond Kitchen and Tap House, located at 672 North Trenton Avenue in Atlantic City. It says here, located in Chelsea Heights section of Atlantic City, Vagabond Kitchen and Tap House has always put its focus on craft beer. Opening in 2012 with a brief closing due to Hurricane Sandy, they are home to one of the most unique and carefully curated tap lists around. They carry a bunch of local craft beers, and some of the most sought-after beers in the country can be found on one of their 17 taps. Dogfish Head 120, Founders KBS, Founders CBS, whoa, that's interesting, are just a few that have been seen here. In the last few months, Vagabond boasts award-winning food as well and was featured on an episode of Diners, Drives In, and Dies hosted by Guy Fieri. Flavortown! Sorry about that. The Lively Restaurant is a restaurant for locals and tourists alike and is known for its view of sunsets over the bay uh, from their covered patios. By the way, just full disclosure, if anyone ever brings up Guy Fieri, I'm screaming Flavortown as loud as possible. Next thing we have here is uh, Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall, located at 133 South Tennessee Avenue. Wow, I like the way that looks. It looks like an old bowling alley. It just has the word Beer Hall in like those big light bulbs, like the big circular light bulbs 
uh, that you see in like old timey um, casinos and stuff like that. Located in the Orange Loop in the heart of the city, Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall has quickly risen to be one of the best craft beer bars in Atlantic City. The newest venue on the list uh, boasts an impressive beer lift with 40 on draft and 60 plus in the bottles and cans. 40 on draft. Uh, locals like Tuckahoe, Seven Miles, Cross Keys, and Icarus. We've had Tuckahoe, believe, on here before. Uh, uh, and more mingle with the other uh, big New Jersey craft players like Carton, Bolero, Snort. Mm, love those guys. There's no shortage of national brands here either with Victory, not Craft. Nope. Victory's Craft. It's Avery. Damn it. I keep fucking that up. Victory, Troves, Bells, Half Acre, and many others can be found on the menu as well. Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall also features an awesome outside area with picnic tables, a fire pit, all set up on a field astroturf that is becoming one of the must-see sections of Staten Island, of Staten Island, of Atlantic City. Uh, Chef Charles Soreth has also curated a great menu, and you got stuff that you want to give. This is a really nice tap that they have here. It's 70? What does it say? 70 again? 40 on draft. That's fucking impressive. 40 on draft is impressive. I'm so sorry. Next up, we have Chickies and Pete's Tropicana. Oh, is it located in Tropicana? Uh, in amongst the hundreds of slot machines and uh, table games at the Tropicana, you will find an oasis of craft beer at Chuckies and Pete's. These guys get uh, these guys get craft beer. Great tap list uh, with an emphasis on local and national uh, craft brands. Uh, what do they have here? What does it say? Uh, uh, the locals call it Chucky's. Uh, get some of the hardest fine beers on the planet. At the time of the publishing, they were promoting a whale watching list, which read like a bucket list for great beers. Uh, Cane Mexican Brunch Founders 2018 Canadian Breakfast Stout Founders 2017 KBS uh, Firestone Walker uh, Napa Para Parabola uh, the 2016 Bourbon County Brand Stout were just a few of the beers that were being offered. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, plus, Chucky's uh, Crab Fries may be the perfect uh, accompaniment to beer. 50 50 plus TVs, an extensive menu of bar food. Wow, check that out. Now we have uh, Firewater Saloon, uh, Brighton and the Boardwalk. Located in the Tropicana yet again, they have uh, 69 taps of liquid uh, goodness uh, and 15 of New Jersey's craft beers are there as well. You know, that's just to name you a couple there. I don't want to go too deep into it, but hey, so just to let you know, next time you are in Atlantic City, you are going to be able to find delicious, wonderful craft beer. And that's a wonderful thing to, to know. Uh, so there's two more articles left. Actually, three more articles left here. But I want to maybe uh, address this one first because I spotted this article two weeks ago. And I wanted to and I thought about reading it on the show. But then I said to myself, you know what? It's not really craft. It's not a craft conversation uh, to be had. But it was from CNN Business, and I'm going to read it now because now there's an interesting little twist at the end of this here. Uh, it said that uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev sells all of its Australian businesses after ditching a huge Asian initial public offering. So what does that mean? For those of you that aren't um, <clears throat> financially savvy like myself, <laughs> that's a joke. If you can't hear the sarcasm, you know, just, you know, forgive me. When you talk so much, you can't dedicate any time to the drink. That sounds like an alcoholic, just, you know, delight right there. But what does this mean? Basically, oh, man, all these fucking ads. God damn it. Why can't I just read the goddamn article? Please. Come on. This comes from Sydney, Australia. Like I said, it's on. It's on another ad. Okay, just breathe. Worthy of your love. CNN Business, the world's biggest brewer, is selling its Australian business just days after calling off what would have had the biggest initial public offering of 2019. That's correct, ladies and gentlemen. Budweiser has unloaded everything that they got in Australia and have sold it to... Move over Uber. Okay. Yeah, they just have a random video showing up. They just have a random video showing up and I had to mute everything. Now the computer... Oh, fuck. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you what's going on with the gist of this son bitch right here. What's happening? I didn't want to read this two weeks ago, and now I'm really regretting it because a video just blasts off right in the middle of it. But Anheuser-Busch has sold everything that they had in Australia to the Japanese beer giant Asahi. Asahi? Asahi. About $11.3 billion American, $16 billion Australian. Okay. 
they had dumped it all out. So what I thought, without even reading this article, right, I didn't read it because I'm like, this isn't craft. Why do I want to read this? So two weeks ago when this came up, I was like, oh, okay. So it looks like they wanted to try to, like, be some sort of player in the Asian market and on the Pacific side of things, but it just wasn't work out. So they're selling out. They're selling off, um, saying that this uh, this public initial public offering wasn't going to work out on the in the Pacific area, and then they were saying that they were going to maybe sell off Corona and Stella Artois from South Korea. So basically, they're just pulling out. They're like, "We can't compete out here. We can't do it anymore out here in the Pacific." So then I was just like, "Okay, no big deal." They wanted to be out there, but then they just couldn't afford it or anything like that, or maybe it just wasn't working out. But then I came across an article today, and this kind of made it all relevant. This made it all worth going through that stupid fucking video that went off. It says here, the Budweiser beer empire was built on debt and now is racing to pay it off. Check that out. Two weeks later, maybe we actually find out why the big boys out there are selling off everything that they have out in Asia and the Pacific. They're selling off everything that they have in Australia. That's gone. Sold it to Japan. And now they're trying to get everything that they have in, in, in South Korea. Okay? Now, I didn't read this article yet. It's going to take me 25 minutes just to scroll down a little bit with all the fucking ads that are going to pop up telling me that I need to open an E-Trade account, which I'm not going to do. Anheuser-Busch, InBev, built a sprawling beer empire by borrowing... Uh, heavily to acquire its rival. Oh, I didn't know this. They're going to try to um, acquire Miller. Mm. Uh, the monster deal allowed uh, the King of Beer to push its fast-growing markets in Africa and away from the United States, where drinkers are switching from craft beer. Switch. Oh, so so this is in response to everyone drinking craft beer here in the United States. No, people are actually kind of straying away from Bud Light and Budweiser. But they did this at the time at a time where they wanted to take over Miller. And it's left them in $100 billion in debt. Under the pressure from Wall Street and credit rating firms, uh, InBev has been forced to attack that mountain of debt by raising cash so it can repair its balance sheet. And it's just cut, uh, And InBev has cut its dividend in half, unloaded Australia for $11.3 billion. Oh, and it's explored an initial public offering in the Asia-Pacific. So it's trying to get, it's trying to raise money. It's, oh boy, can they fall? Can they be crushed? Can this happen? They got too greedy. Look at that. They wanted to, they wanted to buy Miller, right? All while trying to go through the, to a new market in Africa. And they got caught with their dick in the wind. Oh boy. Wait, did they, did they acquire Miller? Now I don't know what I'm talking about. Now it's starting to talk about leverage and I don't know about hedging and stuff like that. But they get to the part of the article where it says craft beer problem. Uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev's debt pay down was slowed in part by the continuing problems in the United States. Their market share has been constantly eroding over the past 10 years in the United States. Fuck you guys! During the first quarter, InBev's core light uh, and value brands lost another percentage point of market share. The company said its mainstream segment remains under pressure as consumers move to higher price tiers. We want better beer. The hot spot for the past decade has been the super premium beer because the economy has been strong and consumers have been trading up. That's right. We got more money. More money, better beer. Mm. Okay, so then apparently they did buy Miller because um, after they made the purchase... Um, they exposed themselves to volatile emerging markets, and it did not do very well. They went into Western Europe and backfired when they went into Brazil and South Africa. It cut their dividends by 50%, but it was not enough, even though it saved them $4 billion. And now they're trying to raise $9.8 billion by having a large... Oh, they're trying to do an initial public offering in Hong Kong. Well, that, that might help a little bit. And uh, But now they're pulling back. Uh. This is it, guys. This is it. We're, we've, we've given them a little bit of a black eye. All right? Your, your 
Mm, by you saying no, I'm not going to buy Budweiser. I'm not going to buy InBev. I'm going out there and I'm going to exclusively buy craft beer and that's it. Because you deserve better. They're starting to feel it. They're starting to feel it in their pocketbook. And guess what? Fuck them. The last thing that I wanted to touch upon here was an article from VinePair, uh, VinePair.com, and it is the 20 worst beer trends in craft, as discussed by brewers. So much less advertising on this. So much less. I'm advertising for this article, for these people, by saying, go to this website and you can read it yourself. Go to VinePair.com. Words by Nico God, the are you fucking kidding me? The people's names all night have been fucking me. Nico Chromiadas. Mm. Jesus Christ. Not all beer trends are created equal. Some have staying power and some have global, even uh, national or even global phenomena, and others fizzle out quickly. Maybe like boba beer. These are several moments coursing through, these are several movements coursing through American breweries. And are worth celebrating. But for now, let's focus on the absolute worst. We're examining the garbage gimmicks that deserve good riddance. That leave a bad taste in your mouth. That make you want to white claw your eyes out. Clever. Below, beer makers confess the recent developments they wish uh, would disappear. Lactose and IPAs. Not a fan, says Brandon Tolbert, owner and brewer of Short Throw Brewing. Okay, I get that. The, the, some people do not like the milkshake IPAs. I've yet to do one on the show, but, you know, I'll give you my opinion when I do. Uh, big beer creating new breweries and popular beer-centric destinations while posing them as independent startups. The average consumer is unaware that their money is not supporting the local craft beer community and rather an internet, the international uh, beer conglomerates. That's Ignacio Montenegro, co-founder of Tripping Animals Brewing Company, and... When I think about it, I can't think of, he's basically talking about wolves in sheep's clothing, and I can't think of a brewery that, that comes to mind that does that. I understand that they buy them up and keep them with their brand name, like Lagunitas is out there. Uh, Lagunitas, uh, now it's not coming to mind, right? Alessian is out there. Um, uh, Avery is out there. Um, Cigar City is bought up now. Uh Goose Island is not craft really much anymore. So, so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, I don't remember, I don't recall, and I could be wrong, someone could call me out on it. I don't, I don't know of them creating one and then saying that it was craft. Though Sam Adams did create, like, Coney Island. I think they created Coney Island Brewery or something and, like, you know, posed it. But I think they're craft, so it doesn't matter. I'm tired of breweries ignoring sexual harassment and sexism and treating it as this as if it's boys being boys. In over half the breweries I've worked at, I've experienced examples of blatant, as blatant as head brewer telling everyone he would screw me straight. Or less obvious instances where a man asked me why I'm carrying something heavy. It's 2019, and I demand equality and respect. Megan Stone, brewer. Megan, I do believe that you, you should have equality and respect in the workplace as well. Corey Gargiulo, general manager of Evil Twin Brewing here, right here in New York City, says, I think ratings on apps and websites have taken some of the human element out of craft beer. While it's great to have craft beer fans excited about X, Y, or Z, I often see consumers relying too heavily on ratings to drive what they purchase as opposed to having a conversation with their bartenders and brewers. Most of all, my beer, aha, Moment. My beer aha moments have come through connecting with something and trying something completely new and unfamiliar. I think our jobs as brewers and as bartenders is to help more of these experience for craft beer fans. Corey, I agree with you because I took a stand here on Three Beers Done Long Ago that I would just pick a beer. Like I would not go in there and go on Beer Advocate or any other uh, technology and try to figure out, is this a good one? Is this a good one? My goal is to get a beer review it and give you my honest opinion. And then you might see that beer and try it yourself too. Trying to get the word out there about craft beer and uh, just making sure that uh, people do buy craft and only craft. 
Uh, the packaging and selling of unfinished beer. Many small breweries don't have the necessary pasteurization cap- capabilities in order to make a product stable after blending in various fruits and juices, so they package it in cans and warn the consumer to keep it cold and to avoid the, to avoid the cans exploding. For me, this is a trend I'd like to see fade away. Either buy a pasteurizer for your cans or simply keep it on tap in the tap room so it can be controlled. That's uh, Paul Wasmond, head brewer and blender of Barrel Culture Brewing and Blending. Okay, I got you. That sounds, you know, you do you, bro. I believe in pasteurization, too. Let me not sound like a fucking rube. Uh, the Slow Pour Pilsner, uh, he wants to see this This guy, Mark Johnson from Duclaw Brewing Company. I appreciate and cherish the craft beer and can only and can see why this is desirable. However, there are other ways to achieve optimal flavors and aromas without bartenders having to wait five to seven minutes to serve the beer. The slow. Oh, okay. I mean, is he referring to like how much like foam comes out when you get a Pilsner? Sometimes there's a ton of fucking foam that comes out. I guess it takes them a while to get it out. I don't know what he's talking about. I really don't. Chris uh, Gilmore from uh, Lone Tree Brewing Company says, Seltzers and breweries. I think uh, the trend will leave a negative impact on the integrity of the industry. I understand the desire to desert, to, to divert, diversify, especially given stagnant sales across the industry of late, but hard seltzer is not the answer. I can get down with a hazy IPA, pastry stouts, and even beer cocktails, but seltzer is a quick cop-out for a lot of fledging places. I'd like to see low-calorie beer or even non-alcoholic craft options to fill the boy the void. At least it's still beer. Chris Gilmore, I am with you, sir. Hard seltzer is just your, like you said, people copping out. Fuck that. All right. So there's, there's a whole bunch more here and, and like, I don't want to, I don't want to read them all, but you could definitely read them if you go on, um, vinepair.com. Oh, this was the one I read this one, uh, earlier. I didn't read them all, but I read this one and I think it's, it's important for me to bring this one up because I think it's a really interesting one. Uh, the liberal interpretation, this is from Morgan Clyde Schneider. Junior, owner and brewer of Buttonwoods Brewery, the liberal interpretation of double, uh, double dry hopping, or DDH, is a pet peeve of mine. DDH is an actual process where the first dry hop is added during the active fermentation process, and the second is added during the secondary fermentation progress. But most people simply just dry hop multiple days. Also, double of what? Since most breweries don't disclose their original dry hop rate, they've started a dry hopping arms race. I've seen as high as 15 pounds per barrel, and that's just a waste. Only so much hop oil can dissolve in the beer. At a certain point, it's literally throwing money down the drain. I found this interesting because I always thought that the dry hopping process was only done in the active fermentation phase, and and I didn't know that they also did it in the secondary phase. And I found that really, really cool. And I didn't know that that was actually something that could come up in the uh, in in conversation amongst brewers and stuff like that. And I find that really, really, um, really cool. And the last one that I thought was really, really funny. Uh, well, two of them, someone said overloaded, overloaded sweetness, great for sipping, but it ruins the session and really messes up your gut. That's Tim Matthews, head of brewing operations, Oscar blues. And then the last one is from Antonio Lopez from Lupum. The eternally unsatisfied drinker. There are so many of those. There are so many people that are just never satisfied with the beer that they're having or 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 beers in general. And I don't know, I don't know what they're looking for, but I, I feel bad because it seems like they're tortured souls. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the show to do our beer review. And I've been drinking Pseudo Sue Pale Ale from the uh, Toppling Goliath Brewing Company. So, I had two tall boy cans here, and I'm going to dump this one, this next one out, pouring it very liberally into the tall glass, and what do we get? We have a very nice presentation here. I poured it pretty hard, I got about uh, three fingers of head here. You're looking at an extremely hazy orange juice, but a little bit lighter, sort of like a real mimosa. Uh, beer. There's some white specks flying, floating around in there. Some yeast, I guess. The color of the head is uh, not quite fully white, but uh, the aroma is is hitting you in the face, and you, you don't even have the beer near you, but you do smell it. Um, let me see what we got. 
It smells sweet. Uh, it's it's got some it's got some dankness to it. It's it's got some dankness to it, and uh, it's got like a pineapple, slightly mango. Uh, nothing too over the top in terms of the sweetness and the aroma. Uh, a little passion fruit, a little bit of dragon fruit there, maybe. There's some herbal aroma in there as well. A pretty a pretty strong aroma here, and then we get to the flavor. Mm. You know, it has a it has a, a pleasantly juicy, sweet, orangey grapefruit um, flavor. It follows the nose really well. Like when when you when you sniff this and take a sip, it it, it goes in hand in hand with each other. It's uh, it's pretty good, but it gets quite citrusy. And why is that? Well, let's read about it here real quick. From Toppling Goliath Brewing Company. Uh, this single hop showcases the Citra Hop, named for the largest T-Rex fossil ever discovered. She roars with ferocity, ferocious aromas of grapefruit, citrus, mango, and evergreen. Uh, delicate body with a mild bite in the finish. And it's coming in at 6.8% alcohol by volume. So the, there's just one hop being used here, and it's the Citra Hop. And if there's one thing that I remember reading about the Citra Hop long ago... Is that the reason that it's used in some of these beers is because it has a citrus quality to it. Lo and behold, when I was drinking this before reading about the beer, I noticed that there was a citrusy flavor to it, but it wasn't too overly juicy. Now, the one thing that I will say about this beer, it has a very, it, it, it has a, a, a little bit of a boozy burn to it for a 6.8%. I've had some beers that are in the in that range where you don't get that um that uh, that alcohol burn whatsoever. Um, other than that, it's very smooth. Uh, it has that passion fruit, dragon fruit, mango, you know, juice bomb flavors are there, but it's quickly followed up by that strong citrus, almost like a lemony flavor. It's, it's a crisp citrus, though. It has a very smooth mouthfeel and a medium carbonation to it. So as I'm drinking this beer, I'm thinking to myself, Am I drinking a New England style IPA? And I mean, it has it listed here as an American Pale Ale. And another American Pale Ale that's out there is like a Dale's Pale Ale or a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. They're going to have a lot different characteristics. Some of them might be slightly hazy, but some of them, most of them are clear in their flavors. So this is obviously an unfiltered um, Pale Ale. And it's, and it's almost as if they... We're going for a New England style IPA, but they pulled back a little bit and uh, kept it kept it an American Pale Ale by using the the ingredients that they did. Um, you know, for me, this this beer when I was drinking it and as I was thinking about it, it's got a really great score out there. But for me personally, I'm going to give it an eight point three. You know, and it sounds like, well, Dom, that doesn't seem too fair. But if we look at, if we're just going to look at the ale category itself and we go back to like, let's look at the Mount Rushmore we have right now. When I had the, the last, last week when I had the Pipeworks um, Blood of the Unicorn, it was 6.5%, got no burn whatsoever. And, uh, it, you know, being, it, it wasn't a, 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 an amber ale, but nonetheless, it hit the points necessary for it to get the score that it got, which was, I believe, an 8.7. And this is an 8.3. That's a respectable score. This is an excellent beer. It tastes really good, but it's not necessarily a crazy juice bomb, which is something that I would prefer. And it's also it's also not as good as that Amber Ale was. So be it be as it may. It's a very respectable score for, for a very good beer from a very great brewery. I know I'm going against the the experts here because on Beer Advocate, because uh, I was looking up the uh, the brewery there, it's got a score of 100, and it ranks number five amongst the uh, American Pale Ales. So for me to not give it a anything above an 8.5, that sounds maybe a bit crazy, but... I'm talking about these intricacies that I'm just observing here. I don't enjoy feeling that 6.8, you know, that that boozy alcohol burn that's there. I'm I'm a bit surprised that I'm not playing the Mount Rushmore music right now 
I did think that this would overtake. This beer is really good, don't get me wrong, but that 6.8, you know, stands out. Um, I give them a lot of credit for doing the single hop, uh, showcasing what the Citra hop can do. When you have a single hop beer, you could really hone in on what you're tasting in terms of the hops. But, you know, when when you unfilter the malts like this, that, that factors into what the flavors are as well. Let me get some more. Maybe let me try another sip here. Yeah. That's citrusy is right there. It's in the middle. You want this to be juicier, but it's it, it just doesn't it doesn't come through. I mean, you know, this is the way they decided to do it. A little bit of a bitterness in the back end, you know. But um I, I I'm just I'm sticking to my score, 8.3. 8.3. A respectable score for a respectable company, a respectable beer. That's a beer drinker's score right there. I mean, you know, I do encourage everyone to go out there and give it a try. Because it is a it is a very nice beer, but nonetheless, I'm 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 sticking in. That's my store, and I'm sticking to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what else do I got? Do I have anything else to talk about? Uh, my daughter's going to be getting christened this weekend, which is fun. Having just a very small get together with family. Um, and uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Three Beers In this weekend. I mean, uh, this week or weekend, whenever you're going to listen to it. Uh, I look forward to the family reunion this weekend. Have a little bit of family reunion. Going to have some smoked ribs, some delicious craft beer over there by Peter Sullivan. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. It's a great time. Thank you all for listening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna, I'm going to catch you next week. Go visit a comic con if you can. Take a look at Pittsburgh. Maybe suggest a place to... Wait a minute. I think I have an email. Oh, shit. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Got an email here. So sorry. I hope no one tuned out. Um, But... That's the rewind. This email comes from Caleb. Caleb says, I'm looking for a beer for D&D immersion drinking. Okay. Uh, Do you have a suggestion for a D&D brew? Just started playing and looking for something that... Evokes a medieval-ish sensibility in flavor. Lower ABV is a bonus. I was thinking of uh, something similar to Founders Curmudgeon originally, but Better Half is a bit too sweet for me and isn't exactly something I want to drink all night, even though I appreciate it. What do you suggest drinking during game nights? Okay, I've never... I did buy a starter Dungeons & Dragons kit thinking that maybe my wife and I can get into it because... Apparently it's fun. I mean, what, what's the big deal? Let's give it a try. But that it's under the bed, and it's uh, probably never come out. This is a very good question. What comes to the first thing that came to my mind when it came to your what you what you're asking here is uh, Golden Drac. It's a beer from Belgium, uh, from like Brorage or something. It's it's called Golden Drac. It comes in a weird bottle that's all white, and there's like a golden dragon. It basically means golden dragon. Um, wait, wait, actually, you know what? That's really high in ABV though, because it's like a quad. I'm thinking that's going to be in the ten percentages, so that's no good for you. Um, what's medieval? Hmm. Oh. Last week I had mentioned the winter solstice beer, and that was the that was the I said the winter warmer, and it was called the winter solstice beer. But I forgot now I forgot the brewery that it was from. But I remember I remembered it when I was listening to it. Um, what could be a beer that you can have that's medieval in flavor? In flavor, that's going to be tough because a lot of the richer, like medieval type of beers are going to be your Belgians and stuff like that, unless you dip into the Saisons, you know, those farmhouse ales, those are resting around 4.5 to 5%, but the flavors are can be a little wonky. You got to like real bright coriander type flavor. I'm thinking uh, tart, uh, Tartan Ale, I think if that's what it was called, because I remember arguing with Rob over the... Apparently, I was supposed to know that tartan was the 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 pattern that the Vikings wore, or whatever. Tartan, that's from Port City Brewing, and I think they're on the East Coast. But I mean, I'm thinking you got to get a dark beer. Forget, for, yeah, it's hard to find a good. I mean, go Bell's Nut Brown Ale. I think they make a, a brown ale. Go with Bell's 
or if you're really in a bind, go get um, uh, Korstritzer Schwarzbier, which is a it's a like a 4.8 German black beer. It's a black lager. Schwarzbier means black beer. Um, you, you, it's hard to it's hard to put your finger on medieval flavor. I don't know. Go get a mead, maybe. See if there's a meadery, a meadery around you, and give that a try. But I do wish you the best, and I hope that you survive every dungeon that you find yourself in. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. I'm going to catch you all next week. You're worthy of your love.